Hi, welcome to the Sayers Conversation podcast. As part of the special Innovators series, our guest today is Tim Washington, CEO and co-founder of Jet Charge. Enjoy. Uh, welcome. Welcome to a Sayers Conversation. Uh, Freddie, we're calling this the Innovators series. Uh, we've got another innovator here in the in the Good One studio. His name is Tim Washington. He's a founder and the CEO of a business called Jet Charge. Hey, welcome, Tim. Good to be here. It's really good that you're here. We're we're thrilled that you've made your way down Common Street um, into the Good One studio to have a chat with us. I'm particularly thrilled with that jacket, mate. I love it. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a killer. <laughs> now we need more. We need more color in Melbourne, don't you think? Always, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. Well. You, can, you walk down Collins Street, yeah, and you look at people, and you go, "Are they really happy?" And I just feel like yeah. people would be happier if they had a bit of color on them. So. I, I'm with you. Look, oh, oh, about a month ago, there was a woman on a Vespa um, going up Collins Street, actually heading towards you know the uh, Parliament End, and um, she just looked fantastic. She had, it was a red Vespa, red shoes on, really well dressed, and I wanted to go up and say to her, "Thank you." <laughs> Seriously. I'm just imagining Russell running up Collins Street. <laughs> Come back. Yeah. I wanted to thank her for uh, just her style and her effort. Now, what we what we like to do is we like to play some sounds to our, um, our guest because we want to make sure that you're just in the best mood possible just to have a great conversation. Um, we're going to have a good conversation anyway. We probably don't even need to do this sound trick, Freddie, but let's, let's do it anyway. So there are going to be five sounds you're going to listen to. Um, tell me which one appeals to you the most for a chat. Right, Tim, we've got a fireplace, a beachside, pub side, sailing. I reckon that's sailing. Uh, and a forest. Oh, definitely a forest. Oh, good. Absolutely. I like it. Um, I do like the idea of walk. I, whenever I've been on a good long walk, I end up having great chats. Mm. Are you a walker? Uh, well, before I had kids, um, my wife and I would go on lots of uh, walks, lots of day treks, lots yeah. of camping. Yeah. And um, nothing, invig- nothing invigorates you more, I'm I think. You. Walk and talk, pretty good way to go, isn't it? I feel like everybody becomes an environmentalist once they get out into the jungle or into the forest or go for a day trek. Yeah. Everybody goes, this is great. We should have more of this. Okay. So you, do you, let's, you've said the word environmentalist. Yeah. Do, I, do you call yourself an, an environmentalist? Rarely. Rarely. Yeah. Um, is that how you approach life? Uh, I do these days. Yeah. Um, I am what I would call a born-again environmentalist. Born-again? Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know about born-agains. Yeah, I do. They tend to be quite uh, fervent in their beliefs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I'm one of those. So I'm a pretty old school capitalist. Yeah. Um, came out of uni, wanted to make as much money as possible. And any career that would get me there um, as fast as possible was my career. Good man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I made the mistake of choosing corporate law, uh, which was the wrong move, but it was what I knew at the time. Right. Um, and through the course of my journeys in my career, I have slowly discovered as I've gotten older and I've had kids and stuff like that, yeah. that 
the marginal utility brought by extra wealth diminishes rapidly as soon as you get above being able to pay for your groceries and housing and stuff like that. So we're in the very fortunate position, unlike many Australians, of being able to afford the basics. Uh-huh. And then once you get beyond that, you have to look at something else. I like where you're going. And the reason why I asked you about environmentalist is because you have a business which mm. is called Jet Charge. Um, and Jet Charge is, as they say these days, leaning into... <laughs> I'm really over that one, are you? <laughs> no comment. Okay, so tell us about Jet Charge. We're an electric vehicle charging infrastructure and technologies business. So basically what that means is as more electric vehicles hit the road, our job is to make sure that everybody can charge it and that the grid can handle it. Okay, all right. Um, they're the two main challenges. So, so um, you're taking on the role of government we are not taking on the role of government. I think there are very few businesses that would actually want to take on the role of government. Yeah, I know, I know, I know right. Although, although I would imagine that the government wants to do business with you. They do. Okay, so just tell us, tell us. I want to know more about it. Just keep telling us about Jet Charge because what I've read is, you know, I've read website, I've read some media, yeah. that's sort of it. So yeah. we need to get, let's get deep. Yeah, like we're not very good um, and this is like, Terrible for me to say in front of you. We're not very good at media. Um, we're not very good at publicity. Mm. In fact, we're terrible at it. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's because for the first uh, eight years, I followed a rule that someone told me when I first started this business and I didn't deviate from that rule for a really long time. Uh, if you allow me just a bit of digression, when I first started the business, the first thing I did was reach out to a just bankrupt global infrastructure business mm. on what they would have done differently. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and... I signed up to LinkedIn Premium and I reached out to this uh, company called Better Place. I, I was, I've just written down Better Place. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Amazing. Um, Let's just go back to Better Place. When I first heard about Better Place, yeah. at least a decade ago, mm. I th- I, my, my reaction to it was, oh my God, you've cracked it. Right? <laughs> Lots of people thought that. Yeah, because it was like the barbecue gas thing. Mm, yeah, mm, you know, you take your gas barbecue to the, I mean, am I right? Take the gas barbecue to the servo, swap the empty one for a full one and off you go. Anyway, keep going, sorry. No, that's exactly right. Um, now, they were ahead of their time, I think. But at the time, they were the best funded startup globally, oh. right, in history. Really? Now, this was a really, really long time ago. So $2 billion of private money was a lot of money. And it was Australian no, it was Israeli. Ah, uh, I was going to say Australian-Israel funded. That's no. right. Um, so they had an office in Australia. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. Um, and they had something like $35 million, um, directed directed just towards Australia, which obviously at the time was a very, it was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some notable Australians in there, Evan Thornley, um, Alan Finkel, they were all in there. Yeah. Now, I started my business just as they went bankrupt, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay... I'm going to sign up to LinkedIn Premium um, and I'm going to reach out and direct message with my credits every single better place person I could find in Melbourne. And there's a few. There's a few. There's a few. Yeah. And I reached out to, I would say, probably 20, 25 people. Yep. Uh, three replied. Uh. Uh, no, that's fine because I'm a nobody, right? Like, why would you reply to me? Yeah, but hang on. Your surname is Washington. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be straight on to you. <laughs> uh, three reply. Three agreed to meet with me. Yeah. Uh, two were fairly high up managers mm-hmm. um, who both of them said to me, don't bother. If we can't do it, you can't do it. Um, very very nicely, like not in an asshole kind of way, just a, yeah. hey, 
you know, you should go back to the law. Like it's, you know, about all of that. Yeah. But there was one guy, he was an engineer. And he said to me, Tim, you know what the problem with Better Place is? And I'm like, what? He goes, too many consultants, not enough engineers. Oh, yeah, okay. And then he said, what you need to do if you're going to start this business is forget everything else. Just put your head down. Yeah. Put as many charging stations in the ground as possible. Yeah. And one day you'll wake up yep. and you'll be the leader. Yeah, no, okay. I can buy that. And yep. so I just, I, I actually, I actually just followed his advice. Yep. And I said, I stayed away from government. He said, stay away from lobbying. Stay away from government. Right. Just, Don't worry about any of that. Just build. Just build. Okay. And so that's what we did. And we just started building people's homes, like installing charging stations in people's homes. And we didn't look up for probably seven years. Okay. So 2013 you started mm. uh, and you built for seven years. Mm. So where were you when it got to 2020 in terms of the build? Um, well, we were building people's homes or so we were mostly installing homes in private premises. We yeah. weren't doing the public stuff quite yet, although... We started that in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, we found ourselves in a market that had actually started to wake up. We were a small team, 15 people, but we were profitable and we were extremely proud of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but what we found was because the market was growing so fast, I had to turn to this really foreign concept to me, which was external capital. Um, I'm not a startup guy, Russell. So, you know, I'm a lawyer and then I joined the family business working with my mum doing clothing manufacturing for five years. Yeah, love it. Yep. And so I was taught yep. every cent of a cent matters. You reinvest your profits into the business, you grow organically. Yeah. I don't come from the startup world where you get external capital. Yeah, but if you're going to do something like, you know, rewire a country, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, good luck with the family business. I mean, there'll be some out there, but, but seriously, you're going to rewire the country. That's basically, I assume that's the plan. Um, we, we play a small part in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we quickly realised that the market was going to grow at such, because you've got to remember for the first seven years, there was between zero and one electric cars on the road. Yeah. Right? So, um we had to go and get external capital and that's where we were in 2020. We were very lucky to go on that path and be successful at it. Okay, so when um, you're installing something, a charge at, a, at an apartment, for mm. example, mm. have you manufactured that charge, that charger? Yes. You've done the manufacturing? Yes, we make it in Melbourne. Okay, so you're assembling um, in Melbourne. You're getting yes. part, so you've got a supply chain? We've got a, we, so we design the parts. Great. Um, now, many of those parts can't be made in Australia because we don't have the facilities. Mm-hmm. It's a pity. I grew up in our family factory packing clothing when I was at school oh. um, because we had a factory in Australia. Yeah. And then clothing very rapidly died in this country. Yeah. So um, one of our per- – uh, this sounds really stupid, but one of our purpose pillars at Jet Charge is building the industry. And so even though it costs us more to do it here, uh-huh. we say, no, it aligns with our purpose – and we're going to do it here. God, love you. Seriously. <laughs> hey, I'm, I, I'm all over this. <laughs> so tell me, okay, so nearshoring. Nearshoring. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you reading the end of global? you know, a lot of work on the end of globalisation? You're doing some thinking around that? Absolutely. Yeah, so tell me about how the end of globalisation, nearshoring, what that means for Jet Charge. Yeah, so like for me, <laughs> um, I... I don't think the end of globalization is necessarily a good thing, right? So, um, but I am seeing a lot more moves towards onshoring, nearshoring, and protectionist measures. And you only have to read the news to see that happening every single day. Yeah. So I basically said it aligns with our purpose pillars, but it also has um, the ability to decrease risk on global supply chains. So, if nothing else, you want to diversify your supply chain. And hey, setting up an assembly plant here sounds like a great way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I also think that the Australian government, especially now, as well as state governments, are starting to get serious about supporting local industry again. It does that does appear to be the case. Yes. Uh, the big levers are, of course, money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're supporting via words, and then there's actually, well, like you, well, like you did, you just got on with building mm. rather than marketing. So, how are they helping with the build, as in government, not just you? I'm just saying policy. Yeah. So, um, there's two aspects to that. The first is that we're incredibly lucky that our first external investor was the Australian government through their clean energy venture arm called the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. Yep. They still sit on our board and they're our second largest shareholder. Um, I, I didn't realise this, but actually the CEFC is a unique, one of the unique entities globally in terms of how much they manage and how much they support Australian businesses. And now they're obviously huge. You know, they got given lots more responsibility. Yep. Um, because the various CEOs and especially the current one earlier month um, has done an amazing job investing on behalf of Australian taxpayers. So we're very lucky on that. We're also very lucky that we've had the ability to get co-funded lots of globally leading projects through um, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Mm -hmm. This is not a promotions ad for the Australian government or anything like that, but I think credit where credit is due. Yeah, Launch Vic as well? Launch Vic, absolutely. So we got enrolled into a Launch Vic 30 by 30 program, uh, which is designed to find the next 30 unicorns by 2030. But uh, to help our executive team... Um, and so on that front, I'm eternally grateful for various levels of government. We also just, um, uh, we're also working with lots of like state governments on their transition as well. Mm -hmm. On the policy front, um, I was one of the founders of, uh, the industry, uh, group called the Electric Vehicle Council, uh, in Australia, which is the peak body representing all electric vehicle, um, ecosystem participants. So, uh, many vehicle manufacturers, energy, et cetera, et cetera charging um and whilst it was extremely difficult when we first started under the previous government we've got incredible engagement at the moment from the current government Mm -hmm. um and look regardless of which political way you lean at the end of the day for us um for our industry um we do believe it's heading in the right direction so when you're helping a government with with their transition Mm. my my assumption is uh, governments have lots of vehicles, mm. and they need, and they are in the process of transitioning those vehicles to EV rather than petrol. That's right, because right. if the ministers on TV saying to you, "Hey, you should buy an EV," right, the first thing they should do is, "We've got an EV." Uh, indeed, and of course, the car, the vehicle, the fleet, the government fleet, how big? Uh for the Victorian government, I think it's like. Well over five to six thousand. Uh, okay, so let's let's just say five thousand. Yeah. What percentage would be electric at this point? Probably less than ten percent. And they're on, and but they know that as they replace, do they accelerate replacement or do they just as they replace they as they replace they change them? Okay, um, federal government as well. They have a policy where uh, they've got about five thousand vehicles mm-hmm. as well, and they basically say that if your lease is up, you must get an electric vehicle. Yeah, unless you can write a business case that tells us why you shouldn't get an electric vehicle. What, okay, what would a business case look like that says I don't need an electric vehicle? Um, I drive 2,000 kilometres a day. Okay, and therefore I... Uh, well, you play a role here, don't you? Yes. Right? Yeah. So the two. So this is obviously an issue. Um, Australia, okay, help me, help me debunk the, I suppose, is it a myth or is it a reality? Hmm. 
Australia, big distances to get it anywhere. Um, therefore, EV is stressed. So um, there's no doubt that Australia is a large country, but Australia is also one of the most urbanised countries in the world. Um, the average person drives 35 kilometres per day. And so uh, <laughs> the myth of, I guess, people travelling a really long distance is just that. It is a myth. Uh-huh. But nobody likes hearing that because everybody has the dream of being on the open road in Australia. Right. With, with uh, what? Stones. Rolling Stones playing. <laughs> you know? something, something, something like that. Yeah. And I think when you basically <laughs> challenge their perception of the great distances of Australia, you're challenging dreams. And the thing that's really hard to overcome when it comes to rational arguments is when you challenge people's dreams. Yeah. I think that's really difficult. Yeah. And so what I say to people is... You don't need to convince everybody yet. You just need to convince enough people. Uh, as you said a little earlier, that you know, media hasn't been your forte. Mm. Um, seven years is building stuff. Can I suggest to you that the headline for your first press release says uh, the notion of travelling big distances in Australia is a myth. You'll get headlines <laughs> and lots of people will want to talk to you, right? <laughs> and the average distance travelled by the average Australian per day is... 35 kilometres. Even that seems a large number to me, right? Yes. I, I, and that would only be average because there'd be others that are doing 200, 300, 400 That's right. per day, right? And all I'll get in the comments is, I travel 2,500 kilometres. <laughs> Can't that, wait. That's, it. that's exactly. <laughs> How do you make money? Uh, we make money from selling hardware that we make. Uh, we also distribute third-party hardware, a lot of it. Um, we make money from installation. And so when we put it in the ground, we project manage and we do all of that. Uh-huh increasingly we're making money from the sale of maintenance and technology products. Mm-hmm. So when we come into a building like this, um, imagine, I don't think this building has it, but imagine if this building had a basement car park, right? And you've got like 50 cars under here. The electricity that's taken from each vehicle per year is the equivalent to about a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> so all of a sudden, all these car parks that we have in Melbourne, for example that weren't designed to have any kind of electrical supply down into the basement um, for these vehicles, has to cope with the equivalent of a two-bedroom apartment per car bay. Now, people will go, well, that's impossible. You'll have to upgrade the entire grid. We're all going to have blackouts, etc." cetera. Uh-huh. The reality is that um, there are lots of people working on the issue. Nobody's blind to it. And we create these things called energy management systems that basically says when everyone goes to sleep, we divert the power to maximum to the basement. Right? Okay. That's a very simple way of understanding I it. I understand. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so we do stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and then increasingly we're providing options for people to say, hey, you live in an apartment, you're probably going to move out in two years, right? Instead of paying all of this money to get it installed, how about you just pay us per month and then when you move out, uh, we'll just stop charging you. Okay, okay, that'll work. Um, batteries, what role do batteries play? Um, batteries play a big role on the grid and in people's homes. Mm-hmm. What what role do batteries play in jet charge? Uh, in jet charge, none, um, except for to basically um, when you when you have to deploy really big bus depots or truck depots or public charging, you have to wait for who we call the grid operator to upgrade and bring new supply to the site. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're waiting, that can be twelve to eighteen months. Yeah. So while you're waiting, what we're trying to do is to bring all these massive batteries. Um, and so that you can get the site operational quicker. And then once the grid is upgraded, we actually get a tow truck and we move that battery and charging system. It's all on this big skid and we move it to another location, <laughs> right? And so it's like 
it's almost like a temporary generator, uh-huh. right? But with batteries, so it doesn't emit diesel. Um, and so that that's one thing. But interestingly enough, the biggest change that will come for our energy system, as well as for motorists and everyday Australians, is when you can utilize the battery in the vehicle as the battery, right? And so right. that that battery in your car, right. in the electric car that, that you have- That can charge my apartment. That can charge your apartment. Right. That can keep your house going for two days, three days. Amazing, right? Right. And so if so, 33% of Australians have solar, rooftop solar. Uh, sorry, 33% of households, I should say. Sorry, detached households. 70% of people- Seventy percent of people who have EVs have solar, uh. right? And so the uh, and then the average household has one point eight cars. So if you charge one of those cars from solar during the day, it can one hundred percent power your house at night. You can pretty much we've done the calculations. You can eliminate seventy percent of your fuel and energy costs uh-huh. by accessing the battery in your car. Okay, help me out on a big a big thought here. Mm. Um, I'm a bit worried about the lack of uh, communication around what the year 2050 looks like for your average person. So well, mm. let, let's say your average Australian. So we're going to be zero by 2050. Mm. I don't know that anyone's actually said, we're going to be zero by 2050, therefore you're going to live your life like X. Have you been thinking about that? Wow. Um, I do think like that. Yeah. But you're right. Nobody's painted an everyday picture. It's all very theoretical, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And so, I mean, because one way I could say, okay, we, in order for us to be zero by 2050, um, we obviously have to have a very low footprint and then we have to, you know, carbon sequestration or whatever, right? So mm. I'm assuming that still some carbon will be burnt, mm. but we'll be, you know, down to lower levels. Um, therefore, what? Um I'm going to have uh, factory-built steak and I can't get on a plane <laughs> and um, bicycle six days a week, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the – I don't know what my life looks like in 2050 and I think people need to explain that. Yeah, um, I think humans find it very hard to forecast past 10 years. Well, um, fine, forecast past a week. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So who knows what's going to happen in 27 years. But all I will say is that um, we all have a – we all have an amazing ability to make ourselves comfortable wherever we can. Yeah. And so therefore in 27 years, a world where our life is quote unquote worse is probably on the lower end of li- uh, likely. of, so, of likelihood. Yeah. So I, w- I would say that would probably won't happen. If I imagine kind of just me in 2050, I imagine I would have solar on my house. Yeah. I imagine we would have two electric vehicles I imagine that I probably wouldn't purchase any electricity from the grid. Mm. I'd still be connected, yep. but I probably wouldn't purchase any electricity from the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to my local supermarket, they will have a charging station as well. Yeah. And it will probably be very cheap um, because they want you to go to the supermarket. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine all of these vehicles working together to help supply electricity into the grid. That will definitely happen and it will definitely happen before 2050 What's really interesting about the year 2050 is just how far autonomous vehicles will go. Yeah. Right? Because, and we have this thesis, that the poles and wires that you see on the street, they're all monopolies, right? Moving electrons from point A to point B is one of the last remaining monopolies eh. in Australia. Eh. Yeah. You want to do it, you have to go through them. But with electric cars and especially autonomous electric cars, it is the first time we've been able to move large amounts of electrons from point A to point B 
And you could imagine a world where autonomous vehicles that are acting as mobile batteries uh, yep, yep. challenge the poles and wires monopoly for the very first time. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm understanding that. And I think I'm a buyer. I can, I can, okay. So your business, Jet Charge, mm. um, so in 2050, you're thriving. Mm. Um, let's go to 2030, right? Yeah. In 2030, you're thriving still. Mm. Why are you thriving? Um, I think a few things. I think the first thing is we've made the cost of transition cheaper. So what I mean by that is, unlike petrol and diesel, the, which is controlled by a very small handful of companies globally, right? You build it in petrol, you go to a petrol station, you fill up, you go, right? Yeah, yeah. But that supply chain is controlled by very few companies. With electric vehicles, every single place with electricity, someone's putting a charging station in there probably, which means that rather than being controlled by 10 companies, it's been done by tens of millions of Australian companies and and families and consumers. So you'll, you will supply to intermediaries? <laughs> no. So what will happen is um, those people are essentially using their credit cards, their small business loans to put in this charging infrastructure and the cost of capital is absolutely insane, uh-huh. right? So we're not all Telstra's and CBA's of the world, right? Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide this infrastructure, as I told you previously, as a subscription modelling apartments, for example, um, at a lower cost of capital. So if the transition is going to cost billions, whatever it is, in this country, at a high cost of capital, it will cost tens of billions more than it needs to. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring the cost of transition down by bringing lower cost of capital into a centralised pool of assets. So that's the first reason I think we're going to succeed is because we're going to make EV charging more accessible to people by making it cheaper. The second reason I think we're thriving is because we found a way to effectively balance grids needs and consumer needs and company needs. Mm-hmm. Fleets, your car comes first. You want to drive it, you can drive it whenever. Uh-huh. But without inconveniencing you, you are directly contributing to people who can't afford electric vehicles, who can't afford solar and batteries, and you're making their electricity prices lower. Yeah, very good. That has to be true. Yes, no, I, I can see that as well. Why did you call it Jet Charge? We couldn't think of a name. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'll tell yeah, you the story. Okay. <laughs> so we looked up a whole bunch of names. Yeah, okay. uh, They were all taken. Of course, like, yeah, yep. Jet Charge, et cetera. So, so um, the name that we had before Jet Charge was Power to the People. Mm. And uh, we thought it was hilarious and yeah. funny and really glad it was taken um, because that was our front runner because uh, I don't think that would have had the cut through. So in the end, it was just Jay, Ellen, Tim, who were the three founders and we called it Jet Charge. And we basically, I know it's stupid, um, but it actually like, it's got good cut through in terms of its um, sound. Yeah. And we were worried that people thought we charged jets. Yep. And I basically said, well, who cares? Yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you could have jet charge, you could have power to the people as your advertising line. Jet charge, could power, be. power to the people. Yeah. Power to, is that Alice? Um, Alice Cooper, I think. Power is to it? the people. No, I didn't know that. I think so. Okay, so money, you've raised You've raised some good money. Yeah. Um, are you burning through it or, you know, or are you still profitable? Because you said you were profitable by 2020. Yeah. Um, so we were profitable. But as you know, being profitable but in a market that grows 50 to 100% per year uh-huh. is not necessarily be all and end all. That's true. So revenue line. Let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So we've grown like oh, probably 40, 50 times since 2020. <laughs> Um, so, um, and, uh, like, you know, our unit economics are great, right? So we've got good unit economics cause we're vertically integrated. Uh-huh. 
Um, but I would say that we're investing every cent in back into the business to prepare for the future. Because I'll give you, I'll give you this stat to give you an idea. Lesson of the, learned from mum and dad. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the curve that's in front of us is not a curve; it's a cliff. Um, f- since we started, twenty thirteen to now, almost ten years, the electric vehicle market has gone from zero percent of new vehicle sales, pretty much, mm-hmm. to I think this year will hit six percent. Only six. Yeah. So is, is only six the right word to gun before six? Yeah, I think it is the right word. Yeah. To go from, and I feel like we're sprinting pretty hard already, right? We've got one hundred and sixty people, and I feel like. Everyone is sprinting extremely hard. Uh-huh. That was in the past t- 10 years. In the next 10 years, from 2023 to 2033, we will go from 6% to almost 100%. Right. You've got a lot of work to do. Oh, I don't even know, know why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to wind it up, okay? So money. Let's just get back to money. So yeah. you, you did a great job. You've been getting money from some you know, serious players. Mm. Um you pr- you're going to probably have to go again. Um, I like we're talking about our capital needs, and I yeah. can imagine in a fast growing environment that we'll probably have to go again. Yeah, good. Um, but good. we've got we've got incredible shareholders. ASX. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no comment on that. Uh. Um, but CFC who've supported us and RACV who led our last round, and then our partners like Kalara Capital and Claremont Capital. Yeah, great, great. And mentors to me, like Greg Roebuck, who founded Car Sales, yep. he's just been amazing to us. So we have this incredible group of shareholders yeah. who just want nothing more to help us succeed. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm confident in the market's ability to supply capital where it's worth it. I like it. And now this is Freddie. I don't. I didn't introduce Freddie properly. Freddie does the production. Mm. Or, and I at the end of our podcast, I always just make sure that uh, Freddie's got the chance to ask a question, something I might have missed, or, or more more often than not, something that I haven't even thought of. So, Freddie, over to you. Uh, thanks, Russ, and thank you, Tim. Uh, before, when you mentioned uh, the supermarket will have a charger because they and they'll make it cheap because they want you to, mm. to go there, uh, it made me think about, uh, you know, what if electricity became the new sort of Wi-Fi, free mm. Wi-Fi at cafes? Mm. Um, and is Wi-Fi and access to internet a good analogy in terms of, you know, when you first think about it, you had to plug into the wall and it gradually got more sort of personalised and, you know, wireless. Yeah. Is that where we're going yes. with electricity? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Um, so the simple act – sorry, I perceive it as simple. Um, the act of plugging in is a major barrier to people and we have a wireless charger in our office yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably about three to five years from mass production, not by us, mm. um, but three to five years to mass production. Within the next decade, many EV charging stations that are going to be rolling out will be wireless. And that has two dramatic effects. The first is that people will go, well, this is easy. And so they won't worry too much about charging. The second is that for EVs to work as batteries, the mere fact of driving over a charging pad without having to plug it in means they're far more accessible as batteries. Yeah, That's great for both consumers in their homes, but it's also great for the grid where they want to participate in helping the grid. Yeah, Amazing. Okay, so average, um, average charge time. Uh, I imagine you're doing some work on that as well. Absolutely. So in places like um, supermarkets, petrol stations, public charging, 15 to 20 minutes uh-huh. average. Uh-huh. Now, 
keeping in mind that electric vehicles are no longer these 50-kilometre cars. Uh, an EV was just released in China with 1,000 kilometres of range okay. off a single charge. Yeah, yeah. So you're charging for 15 to 20 minutes to 25 minutes and you're charging once on a road trip, twice on a road trip. In homes, we don't want to give you that much power because it's ridiculous, right? So you just charge while you sleep. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I think we've got a different concept of time now anyway mm. because our mobile phone means that we, even if it's 15 minutes of being idle, you're actually not idle. Yeah, that's right. right? Oh, that, that is really true, Russ, yeah. Right? You know, it's, it's quite... We, we, we often talk about the fact that you actually don't need fast trains. You just need trains to leave on time and be clean and, you know, <laughs> and someone give you a good sandwich because... You're online, you, you've got your Wi-Fi, you're doing work or you're being entertained. So I think there's a different concept around time, just a thought for you. Oh, I really love that. Yeah. I really love that. I thought where you were going with that was the concept of charging being like mobile phones because I do this thought experiment with people and I say to them, if I told you tomorrow that um, you could charge your mobile phone in, say, three minutes, right, but you had to go to a petrol station to do it, you couldn't do it at home, right. you couldn't do it at work. At your desk, you had to go to a petrol station, but it only takes three minutes. Yeah, you'd still go though, wouldn't you? Well, would you? Yeah, Jedi? I don't of course reckon. you would, because if that's the only way I can get it charged. Oh no, no. But what I'm saying is, would you like that world compared to no, I the current world? No, no, I don't want that world. I thought no. you were saying that was my world. Oh uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so if that's not the case, and then go, well, I just charge it at home. I'm like, well, it's exactly the same with your car. Totally, totally. Yeah. All right. So uh, at the start, at the start, you were saying. I'm not that good at media. I'm not that good at marketing. I spent my time, you know, being an engineer, which I love. I love that because that's clearly your background. We just get on with business. Mm. But I suspect, Tim, if you put your mind to media and marketing, I reckon you'd go okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. It's, it's been fantastic talking to you about your business, Tim. Um, Jet Charge, uh, I mean, really, what's going to get in your way? Uh, don't know. <laughs> Hopefully nothing. A black swan moment. A, a moment that you haven't thought of, something that comes from absolutely no. Because I, I, I think you've got every right to be confident. Oh, thank you, Russ. I appreciate that. Good man. Cheers.